It's a uh, great honor to be here. Uh, I've said that since Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday night, this morning, then next service, and then off I go. Uh, it's been <clears throat> refreshing to uh, experience your church. Uh, I get around, and so I get to see a lot of churches. And the uh, church here is a cut above. Leadership, leadership team, uh, your pastors, uh, you're privileged to have such great pastors. And uh, not... <clears throat> and I can't, I can't say that everywhere I go. I have to just say, and God gave you what you need. And move on. Uh, but, but here, it's truly a privilege to see such great pastors with uh, passion and heart and sincerity and integrity. <clears throat> and the, uh, and and you have all those things, and they're also cool. Uh, I mean, who can sing and rap while they preach? I, mean, uh, you know, I try I try to practice before I came, but it just did not go over. <laughs> My wife told me, just don't go there, Frank. Don't don't go there. Um, it's been. Uh, Great to watch the worship with Seth and the team and a uh, great young man and his wife. I just love her hair. Uh, <clears throat> just a very unique lady. Um, and so I've experienced some of your leaders and your teams, and uh, I'm blessed, and I'm inspired and encouraged. Uh, my son was a basketball player his whole life. And I traveled with the team, the college team. When, we, when he was in college, I went to all his games even then. So I understand exactly over here where the team would feel uh, and the coach and how close the team is. That's a, it's a very difficult thing. Uh, but I believe God's going to turn it around. I do. I do. I, I believe our prayers have been heard, and, and I think God is at work. Already Now, I have exactly 30 minutes and 43, 42, 40, 39, 38 minutes to go, about 30 minutes. So <clears throat> I'm not going to uh, waste any more time, not waste. I wanted to say some things, but I want to go right to the word. Normally, I would do a little bit more to let you get to know me and bond a little bit and kind of ease into this and would be more my style. Uh, but I'm a pastor, I have been for 40 years, and I've never, I've never preached in a weekend service where I didn't have to preach multiple services. Our church has been in multiple services, multiple campuses. Uh, I used to preach Saturday, 5 o'clock, 7 o'clock, Sunday morning, 9, 11, uh, afternoon, 1, 3, and 5. I did that, I did that for years. And uh, I have to tell you that uh, after the services, I wouldn't just go take a nap. I would go into a coma. I was, I was so tired every weekend. Uh, and so when we went multi-site and got rid of one of the Saturday night services and got rid of one of the Sunday night, I was, I was in preacher heaven, you know. Uh, but I understand clock, and I understand multiple services. And thank God you're in multiple services. Uh, last night, we had uh, so many people saved. I don't even know how many. But there was dozens, literally. I mean, it was full both ends all the way across, prodigal salvations, people being touched, and 
what a wonderful thing that uh, your church has the ability to reach lives and, and to touch people. And that's what it's all about. A gospel-centered church is just simply a Jesus heart. You, you just have a heart for the lost. If you don't see people saved, there's something wrong. Uh, you've got to see people come to Christ. And you've got to see those people discipled and water baptized. Next service, we're going to baptize a bunch of people. I don't know how many, 40, 50 people next service. Probably during the worship, I take it. So you dunk them during the worship. That's what we do. Because, uh, uh, yeah, I say something funny. I mean, you know, we're Dunkin' Donuts First Church of Christ. And so we, we had too many people to baptize. And so a few years ago, we changed it because... We couldn't keep up with it, which is a good thing. So we just baptized during the worship. The first time we did it, it was so good. The people crying, clapping, cheering, worshiping, people being baptized in the Holy Spirit, baptized in water. I thought, geez, I'm going to do this every time. And so when they asked me who came up with this, I said, it was my idea. Uh, I didn't know it would work at all. Uh, but it was just a, a great thing to see people baptized while you're worshiping and understand lives are being changed and God doing something in awesome ways. All right, now, I'm going to go right to the Word. I'm going to frame in, um, if you can, you probably should stay for the 11 o'clock service because I'll have more time. Even if I don't get given the time, I'm going to take the time. Uh, <laughs> but we have it in the 11, so I know I can, in my service, I always go over in that last service and uh, blame it on the Holy Spirit every time. <laughs> but uh, in this service, i got to dig right in. And go, and so you're going to get the Reader's Digest version of this God thought, but it will be worth it for you to hear this thought. Um, it's out of the Gospel of Luke, and so if you have a Bible, you're going to go there and you're going to follow with me. But before I read this scripture, before I get there, you're going to understand the frame of this scripture, okay? In uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, it's the beginning of Jesus' ministry. If you don't know that, that's uh, Luke 4. That's the, the first time that we have an entry level to Christ beginning his earthly ministry at age 33. But I want you to go back to the beginning of this scripture, and that is the book of Isaiah, which we don't turn to. But I'll just quote, and we'll, we'll frame this in. But Isaiah, 750 years prior to Christ, prophesied about the coming of Christ. Matter of fact, he's the greatest Messianic prophet in the Old Testament. He prophesied... Uh, the birthplace, the birth city. He prophesied uh, the parents, the brothers, the sisters. He prophesied the ministry, the gifts. He prophesied the healings. He prophesied the crucifixion, Isaiah 53. He prophesied the resurrection. I mean, Isaiah 11 is our famous Christmas Emmanuel scripture. I mean, Isaiah was probably the greatest messianic prophet that saw into the future more clearly than any other Old Testament prophet. And one of those scriptures is Isaiah 61 where he prophesies about the Spirit of the Lord coming upon this Messiah and what the Messiah would do. And actually, it's the most famous scripture about the job description of Jesus. What Jesus would do for three and a half years is Isaiah 61, 1 through 4, and Luke 4, 16 through 19. Luke 4, 16 through 19 is a quotation of Isaiah 61. And so when Jesus comes to the synagogue, now this is where I want you to pick up with me and I want you to think with me for a moment because there's a thought behind what I'm doing in the miracle of what takes place that day. That day, when he comes to the synagogue on Saturday, 
in Nazareth. Nazareth is only 6,000 people. And the synagogue would only seat about 200 people. And they had several in the area. But Nazareth being just a rural area where Jesus and his parents and his brother, by the way, he had family. And we know that from scripture. Most people don't even know about that. Uh, his family attended that synagogue his whole life, which means for 30 years. That's where Jesus was dedicated. That's where Jesus went to church every Saturday. That's where Jesus watched all the people get raised in the city. Uh, he was a carpenter, so he had built things for all these people. It was a small town, rural town. He was known as Joseph's son. He was not known as the Messiah. He was not supernatural. There was nothing real different about Jesus that everybody would just say, oh, that's the son of God in the making. Pretty soon he's going to tell us who he was. No, he, none of that ever happened. He was Joseph's son. He was a carpenter. He lived in this rural town. He went to church every Saturday, and on this particular Saturday, as the synagogue had set up, there was a desk-type thing in the front of the synagogue that had um, holes on the top of it. And the reason it did, and it was large, it would be about six feet long and three feet wide, that desk, uh, coffee table kind of a thing, is what held the, the manuscripts that was used in the synagogue. And so the reading for the synagogue was pre-planned a year ahead of time. And so they would pre-plan the reading according to the seasons of Israel. And the seasons of Israel had to do with the Passover and Pentecost and tabernacles and all the seasons. Everybody understood. Now, this is the Jewish community. This is the Jewish reading. This is the Old Testament. They had no New Testament. They had nothing but the Old Testament. And most of the time, they would read from the Psalms and the prophets. They didn't do much from the Pentateuch, but they did a lot from the Psalms and the prophets. Not much from Proverbs, but from the Psalms and the prophets, they would read in the synagogue every Saturday, and it would be preset with the reading of the scripture and preset who would read the scripture. And so that was all done with the priest that was in charge of the synagogue, just like a local church making up a, a service agenda. They had a service agenda. On that particular day, Jesus was the reader. And the chosen text was Isaiah 61. Now, the miracle of this is that the 200 people sitting there had no idea they were about ready to partake of a miracle. They were ready to make history. They had no idea they were going to make history. They had no idea it was supernatural. They had no idea who was going to do the reading. They had no idea it was any different than any other Saturday, any other synagogue, any other meeting, at any other time. There was nothing special they thought was coming. They were in the routine of synagogue and the routine of listening and the routine of going to church like you and I do most every Sunday, the routine of it all. And that's what they're doing. And so Jesus, and you can put four now on the, on the screen. Uh, when Jesus stands up to read, it says in Luke 4, so you know I'm not making this up, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and was his custom, his habit, to go to the synagogue on the Sabbath. And so that tells me 30 years of what he's been doing. It's his habit. He was a faithful attendant to the synagogue. Got it, okay. And he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. You couldn't stand up to read unless you were elected to read. You were named to read. Your name would be uh, written on a scroll thing that would assign you, and there was other things assigned in the synagogue services. And so when it came time, Jesus stood up, 
and it's his turn to read, and it says, and he, uh, I think you back up, got to go back on the Sabbath day to read, and the scroll, yeah, the scroll of the prophet, this is an important sentence right here, was given to him. He didn't reach down and unscroll Isaiah and find whatever he wanted. The scroll was handed to him, and the reading for that day was Isaiah 61. Now, the only difference in this synagogue day is that the prophecy and the fulfillment of the prophecy was being read by the person who would fulfill the prophecy, which had never happened in the history of that synagogue or any other synagogue. Prophecies were not fulfilled in that day as they were all looking for something to come. But here on this day, this man received the Lord Jesus. He takes the scroll, and again, they're sitting there with the routineness of church. But they're actually, now listen to me, because I've only got 10 minutes left or 19 minutes left, and I've only just read the scripture. But what? was in front of them was a miracle. They're in the atmosphere of supernatural and something is going to be said to them that they could have if they had faith to get it because the heavens were going to be open for that man. So Jesus takes the scroll. Now go to the next verse. He unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord, and this is where it says later in the chapter, and again, I would work backwards, but we don't have time, where something happens. The prophecy, the fulfillment, and this is the inauguration. This is the beginning of a supernatural Messiah, and he's going to do something that no one's ever done in all the history of the Jews. He's going to bring to them open heavens where the Spirit can touch everybody. That's never happened. He's also going to bring to them miracles. They've never had them. They've never had the miracles except for a few prophets and kings that had a visitation and they received the healing. But in the, in the people of God, in the normal congregation, miracles and healings was not something they would go after. That was not something they had access to. There was no access. So Jesus starts reading, and I want you to notice the word me. And the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Come on. Me. Come on. Me. And when he said me, I think something just kind of started shaking in that room. Because later they say, did you feel something different today with the carpenter? I mean, he didn't seem like the carpenter today. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Lord's favor. So as Jesus is reading, prophecy fulfillment starts landing upon his words. And the Spirit of the Lord has waited for 4,000 years for this to happen, and the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and something began, and I'm going to tell you what the Spirit of the Lord's gonna do, 
And this is going to be a very special day because something is going to open today that will never close again. So as he reads the prophecy, he ends in the middle of the verse. If you know Isaiah 61, Isaiah 61, the reading keeps going, but Jesus shut the book in the middle of a sentence because the rest of the sentence had to do with the second coming of Christ, not the first. And so he stopped in the middle of the sentence and simply said, and this is the year of the Lord's favor. Now, the miracle that I want to kind of land on this morning for a couple minutes is that the opening of this supernatural day was the beginning of a supernatural year, not the calendar year, because it wasn't a beginning of a, a specific feast of Israel that they would celebrate. It was the beginning of a supernatural calendar, and that calendar would have no dates on it because that calendar would be open, and every day would be a favor day. Every day would be a miracle day. Every day would be Passover. Every day would be Pentecost. Every day would be Tabernacles. Every day would be where the Spirit of the Lord would move. And these people are listening but they're not quite sure. Now, do you feel this? Some of the people maybe might have said, you know, if the heavens are open for that, maybe I could have that then. I mean, this man is saying this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. And so is, I, I mean, this could be, I think some of them went home and some of them became part of the followers. Some of them became part of the people that went around and followed him to different places because they realized when they went home and told their wife or their kids or whatever, and they said, you know, today was very different. Something happened today in the synagogue. And there was a man, which you guys know, it's Joseph, but it's not Joseph. It's the son of God. He, he proclaimed something. He said it's fulfilled. And, and there was an atmosphere in the room and there was a, a, a something shifted in the heavens. I can't explain it to you, but there's something going going on and so uh, their daughter was crippled or their son was blind or their mother-in-law had a problem and I'm sure that they scooped those people up and said wherever that man goes we're going to find him because the year of the Lord's favor has begun and there's something coming to the people of God and I'm going to get in on it hello yeah. you are the synagogue you're the people routinely in church today and your routine can become supernatural if you would believe that your day is supernatural and that God is actually doing something in you and for you right now in the name of faith. Some of you get this, some of you don't, but that's okay. Favor. Everyone say favor. favor. All right. Here's my definition of favor. It's a definition that I worked hard on, you can go ahead and put that slide up. The definition is a compiling of all the Hebrew words and the Greek words for the word favor. And this combination of words that I've made for you is a combination that would take the Hebrew and the Greek without me laboriously taking you through a linguistic study, which I don't need to do at all, but to combine the words and show you in modern vernacular, what does the word favor actually mean when he says, the year of the Lord's favor has been opened for you. The spirit of the Lord is upon you right now. 
for that year of favor to come upon you. I would like to um, read this. I know it's long, but I want you to feel it because this is not just a good idea. This is the Bible for the word favor. And the reason you should take it down and look at it and pray it and lay hands on yourself and intercede and fast and pray and declare and proclaim and do everything you have to do is that this definition is for your life. Now, if you knew this, if you knew this could possibly work for you, would you not reach to it? Aligning our life with God's blessing. Grace is another word for the word favor. And favor, that does what? It positions us for increased influence. It also gives you supernatural turnarounds. It also breaks limitations off your life. It also awakens dreams that have died, gone to sleep, and been removed. It also does something that no man can do. Missed opportunities are redeemed. Now, when you miss an opportunity in the world today, in our nation today, the word regret, and all that goes with the guilt of that and the missing of that, and people talk about it, and if you Google the word regret or read anything on it, which I've done a great deal on just because to get my spirit filled with this definition to understand how bad it is in the natural realm, that when people miss an opportunity, they regret it, they live in regret relationally, financially, business, a decision that wasn't made, something that you were right there and you didn't go through the door, and then you realize that was an opportunity, I missed it, that was a relationship, I missed it, I messed it up, and now what do I do? In the world, you live in regret, you live with fear and guilt, you might be depressed, you might be discouraged, you live with disappointment, you might have a different countenance on your face because of your missed opportunity, but in the kingdom of God and through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and through the power of scripture, what has been missed can come back around in a different way and be better than even what you missed the first time. So a missed opportunity, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good to them who love the Lord to call according to his purpose. And then it goes through and talks about, and there's other scriptures. So even though you've missed opportunities and you feel like it can never come back, I want to say to you, I want to build your faith that in the favor of God and the grace of God, the mercy of God and the dealings of God and the sovereignty of God, what has been missed in the natural can be restored with the supernatural. So don't, don't live your life with regret. The guy didn't say yes when he asked you to marry. There's a, another guy coming that's twice as good. Say, Frank, are you sure? Yes. I mean, I'm, I'm sure for you. You have to be sure for yourself. But you cannot live with missed opportunities as something you can never ever face again. In the word favor is redemption. It buys back mistakes. Buys it, buys them back. And changes them to new opportunities. So what was meant for your harm becomes something that's good for you. What was taken from you is restored and added to. 
What happened that so disappointed you, God heals and brings it back. I mean, look at Joseph, look at Moses, look at Ruth. I mean, I'm doing a whole study right now on the book of Ruth because I see in the book of Ruth so many things that are so awesome in, in my own life and what I'm doing. I'm doing a, a book study on the book of Ruth called Setups, Setbacks, and Surprises. Why? Because that's how God does it. A setback becomes a setup that becomes a surprise that puts you into a supernatural place that you had no idea was coming your way. Her husband died. Her two sons died. She was in a foreign land. She had no future. She was bitter in her heart. She said, all that is before me is not good. My life is all in the past. What's before me is nothing. Okay, well, I'm preaching with. Anyway. Missed opportunities redeemed and wide open new doors of divine possibilities. Is there anybody in this room that would say, I think I'm going to print that out and put it on top of my head <laughs> and start praying every day for increased influence and missed opportunities and new divine opportunity, new doors to open up and for God to move and for God to heal and for God to do why? Because God is good and God's door of favor has been opened. If you're in the synagogue sitting there and you think it's just Joseph's son who lived and died and he's gone, you're gonna miss the opportunity to enter into the favor of God. But if you're sitting here in the midst of a miracle for your life, and you feel the miracle come upon your mind and your heart, and you put your past behind you, your future in front of you, reach toward the door of favor, and believe that it's your year starting today, your new year start today, your new time start today, right now. By faith, you can open a door for your new year. Couple more scriptures. I'm trying. <laughs> Second Corinthians 5.18 what a fantastic scripture the new situation is wholly God's doing I think you have slides for all these they didn't send you a pack of slides it's called miracle of favor and there's a bunch of slides if not that's okay, the Lord forgive you. <laughs> Favor be on your computer. Look at that. And, and he spoke the word into existence. The new situation is holy God's doing. For he is the one who restored us to, come on, shout it, to his favor through the work of Christ. How do you get into the favor of God? It's not, not by your good deeds, your good looks, your good anything. It's not, you can't cancel yourself out because you're good or bad. You get into favor through the guy who gives it, and that's through the cross of Jesus Christ. You get into favor through the gospel of grace. You get into favor when you stand as a child of God under the cross and you realize who you are, and you begin to lay hands on your own heart and say, okay, I'm a child of favor. I've been saved by the man of favor. I have a book of favor. I have promises of favor, and my life is favor. I have an edge. I'm not going with my family. 
family tree. I'm not going with the spirit of rejection. I'm not going with my past. I'm not going with circumstance. I'm not going with what other people think about me. I'm going to go with what Jesus says, what Jesus has done. He's a man of favor. I'm in the family of favor. Therefore, my year of favor has just begun right now. If you do that, you will find a shift in your own spirit because it's a biblical shift. It's a right shift. Here's another scripture. 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 2. Hear what God says. I love, I love this. I love the Bible. But I, I love this scripture in favor. Hear what God says. When the time came for me to show you favor, I heard you. I just love this verse. And, and when the day arrived for me to save you, I helped you. Listen, this is the hour to receive God's favor. Today is the day to be saved. And saved in this scripture is the same as favor is the same. And notice he goes from an open time to a season, to a day, to an hour, and then he says, now. Now is your time. What I like in this verse is when the time came for me to show you favor, I heard you. I heard you. The heart speaks even if the lips don't move. The heart is a deep well. And it has a voice of its own that heaven hears more than any other voice. And when the heart speaks, heaven wakes up. And especially, it says in my Bible, when the broken speak from their heart and ask for God's favor, God immediately responds. Now, I want you to do this with me right now. I want you to simply, by faith, in a very simplistic way, I want you to say in your heart, God, I need your favor. Oh God, God, I'm asking for my life, for my marriage, for my kids, for my business, for my job, for my health, for my future, for my friend, for the salvation of my unsaved spouse or my mate or my boss or this circumstance to turn around. Lord, I'm just wanting to go on record in heaven. This heart is saying, help Help me. When it came time for me to help you, I heard you. I heard you. So right now, your heart is saying, oh God, God help me. Help me. Can't help myself. I don't know what to do with this. My life is so screwed up. I'm so sick of it. I need something to work out that's good. I, I need things to change. I need, I need something to go my way for a change. I, I need some stuff to align with my life so that I can enjoy life and enjoy the future and enjoy people and, and enjoy forgiveness. And I want to get rid of this bitterness and I want to get rid of this negative tongue. And I'm so sick of having broken dreams that never happen and disappointments that keep coming my way. Oh, God, help and when you pray that, my Bible says he hears it. And he begins to move that minute. 
right then, right then, right then. He begins to send healing and help and hope and start changing and start doing what you can't do for yourself because he loves you the way you are. You don't have to do anything for his favor. Matter of fact, if you do something to get it and he responds to that, it's not favor. Favor only comes to those who don't deserve it. How many of you would say, well, I might be a candidate for that then. It, it, it only comes to those who can't help themselves and they can't do anything about it. It's outside of your reach. It's outside of your mind. It's outside of your life. It only comes to the undeserving. It never comes to the deserving. The hypocrite feels they deserve it. And the prideful and the secular mindset and the people that think that I should, it's not that. It's the one that comes to the temple and beats some chest. There were two people. One of them said, thank God I'm not like the sinners in this place. And the other man fell on his knees in the corner and he beat his chest and he says, oh God, save me. I'm a sinner. And God says, I'll go to him and I won't mess with him. All you have to do is say, help. God, help me. You don't have to pray it properly. Just pray it from your heart with the word help me. Every head bowed right now. You're in this room and you're listening to my voice. And you are a person who does not know Jesus Christ. But you know you need help. And you want favor. And you want grace. And you want your year to start now. And you don't want to mess with your life because you've already messed it up enough. And you're willing to surrender your life now to Christ. I'm talking to you right now. If you do not know or haven't responded to Christ, and say, Frank, today's my day. And I want to do this. I want you to lift your hand straight up in the air.